Welcome to Sermons for a Critical Faith, a ministry of First Presbyterian Church in Lincoln, Nebraska, where faith is nurtured, curiosity encouraged, diversity welcomed, and all are loved. I am Pastor Sue Collar. Today is the final week of our series, I've Been Meaning to Ask, where we see how our faith guides us to move beyond polarization to actually getting to know real people and make connections. We've asked, where are you from? Where do you hurt? And what do you need? We have listened to each other. We have come to better understand each other. We have come to know that no matter who you are, we are human beings who love, who hurt, who struggle, and who carry with us the things that formed us. Today we ask, where do we go from here? How do we take what we've learned and make this world a kinder place? Let's begin that conversation by hearing a reading from Acts 10 and Ruth 1. Today is the final week of our worship series, I've Been Meaning to Ask. We have started this, we started this worship series because we have recognized our world is so incredibly polarized, and we are polarized in it too. I mean, we, we certainly have those people we want nothing to do with, those people we say, well, we can't talk to them. Uh, they're probably saying that about us too, who knows. Um, but we're, we've been asking the question about how does our faith guide us to move beyond polarization to actually get to know the real people behind our stereotypes and make real connections. So far, we've asked, where are you from? Where do you hurt and what do you need? We have listened to each other. We have come to better understand each other. And we've come to know that no matter who you are, each of us is a human being who loves, who hurts, who struggles, and who carries with us all those things in our past that has helped shape and form us. Some of the stuff that makes it hard for us to talk to each other. Well, today we're going to ask, where do we go from here? How do we take what we have learned and make this world a better place, a kinder place? We're going to begin with a reading from Acts 10. And if you're saying, boy, that sounds familiar, it should. We've read from it actually a few times over the past few months. It comes up a lot because it says a lot about how God wants us to live. For example, in Jesus' day and in Peter's day, who the story is about, it was not lawful for a Jew to eat with a non-Jew. It wasn't even lawful for them to go into their home. And then Peter has this vision from God and everything changes. So as you listen to this reading today, Pay attention to Peter's vision and what God is telling him. And then ask yourself, what is God telling you about how you should respond and relate to those you find it difficult to get along with? Let's listen for the word of God for us today from Acts chapter 10. In Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of the Italian cohort as it was called. He was a devout man who feared God with all his household. 
He gave alms generously to the people and prayed consistently to God. One afternoon, at about 3 o'clock, he had a vision in which he clearly saw an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius. He stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? He answered, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa for a certain Simon who is called Peter. He is lodging with Simon, a tanner whose house is by the seaside. When the angel who spoke to him had left, he called two of his slaves and a devout soldier from the ranks of those who served him. And after telling them everything, he sent them to Joppa. About noon the next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up, to the, up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while it was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw the heaven opened and something like a large sheet coming down, being lowered to the ground by its four corners. In it were all kinds of four-footed creatures and reptiles and birds of the air. Then he heard a voice saying, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is profane or unclean. The voice said to him again, a second time, What God has made clean, you must not call profane. This happened three times, and the thing was suddenly taken up to heaven. Now while Peter was greatly puzzled about what to make of the vision that he had seen, suddenly the men sent by Cornelius appeared. So our second reading today is from the Old Testament book of Ruth. It's a story about two women, one old, one young, who realized that their lives were forever bound together, and together they would face whatever challenges came their way. The story begins with a famine in the land of Judah when Elimelech and his wife Naomi go to Moab for a better life. They had two sons, both of whom married Moabite women, but then Elimelech died and then their two sons died. That's where we pick up the story. Then Naomi started to return with her daughters-in-law from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the country of Moab that the Lord had consideration for his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she had been living, she and her two daughters-in-law, and they went on their way to go back to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find security, each of you in the house of your husband. Then she kissed them, and they wept aloud. They said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Do I still have sons in my womb that they may come become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go, to your, go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. Even if I thought there was hope for me, even if I should have a husband tonight and bear sons, would you then wait until they were grown? Would you then refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, it has been far more bitter for me than for you, because the hand of the Lord has turned against me. Then they wept aloud again. Orpha kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. So she said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not press me to leave you or to turn back from following you. Where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, 
I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. There I will be buried. May the Lord do thus, and so to me. And more as well, even if death parts me from you. Then Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her. She said no more to her. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, Is this Naomi? She said to them, Call me no longer Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt bitterly with me. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has dealt harshly with me, and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So Naomi returned with Ruth to to the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, who came back with her from the country of Moab. They came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the, bar of the barley harvest. A word of God that is still speaking. Thanks be to God. We began this series because we find ourselves in an increasingly more and more divisive world. It seems like we've forgotten how to talk to each other. Uh, we have our swords at the ready to draw that line in the sand. We have turned simple disagreements into to chasms that shall never be crossed. We demonize anyone who holds a different opinion. And there seems to be less and less common ground. Or at least we're less and less interested in finding common ground or taking the risk to find it. I certainly recognize that in myself. I find myself less and less willing to speak up if I hold a difference, uh, difference of opinion from those around me. I, I just simply don't want to get into an argument uh, or have to defend myself when I know it's not going to matter. And especially if I feel they really don't care about why I think the way I do. And it saddens me. It saddens me that we are so afraid to talk to each other and listen to each other. We're so worried that if we try to understand one another, we're going to be seen as, as a traitor to our own side. As followers of Jesus, we should, and I'm always leery about using the word should, but we should be the first ones out there finding a way to bridge those divisions and, and heal those divisions. I mean, after all, one of our titles, in addition to follower of Jesus, is ambassadors of reconciliation. Reconciliation is that thing that, that looks beyond the differences. It doesn't ignore them, but it looks beyond the differences into those spaces where healing can happen, where healing is longed for. But so often it seems that those spaces are buried so deep under pain and anger and hatred and fear that it just feels impossible to get there. And yet... The starting place for healing our divisions begin in, begins in seeking those places. Being willing to look at the one that we are in conflict with, the one we're afraid of, the one we don't know, as a human being like us, imperfect like us, carrying around baggage like us, and loved by God like us. So we've been asking questions, curious questions, because we do care 
do care about that other person? We've been asking courageous questions because we know if we ask really deep questions of others, we have to be willing to answer them ourselves too. You know, where are you from? Where do you hurt? What do you need? Those are risky questions because we are asking others and ourselves to be vulnerable in a world where that can open us up to being hurt. And yet it's only when we start to take down those walls that protect us that we could find that path to understanding. Only by, by opening up the, the circle of those we care about will there be space for the kind of healing we long for in this world. If we keep the circle closed and only let, it let in those who think like us, we just add to the division and hate. But if, if we can hold space between us for God to be at work, amazing things can happen. So most of our conversation these past three weeks has had us thinking about these questions for ourselves. It always starts with us. Where are we from? Where are you from? What shaped you? What formed your thoughts and your faith? and your outlook on life. Where do you hurt? What are those hidden pains that we don't show anyone else, and yet we long to have seen and healed? What do you need? What do you need to make it through the day? Because you don't have to do it all alone. By learning to ask those questions of ourselves, we actually begin to see that everyone is more than what they appear to be on the surface. Under that surface that we may or may not like, someone with a complicated story of joys and sorrows. When we start to scratch that surface and, and uncover what's underneath, we just might see them as human beings, loved by God rather than as stereotypes or enemies. And what a gift then we can offer that person to be seen, to be acknowledged, to be recognized as a kindred spirit. Whether that's someone we love or someone we have a hard time relating to, what a gift we can offer them. So today we're going to ask the fourth question. Where do we go from here? Our main scripture is from the Old Testament book of Ruth. Ruth, of course, makes that wonderful promise to Naomi, wherever you go, I will go. Your people will be my people, your God, my God. But did you ever wonder what led to such a dramatic vow? Let's look at that story. Naomi did not, uh, did not want Ruth to go with her. She did not want to be responsible for this young woman or for Orpah, her other daughter-in-law. Technically, she was. You see, when a woman got married, she left her father's house and became a member of her husband's house. That was her new house, family, tribe, clan. And the death of the husband doesn't change that. Naomi was responsible for Orpah and Ruth. 
But after both her husband and then her two sons died, I guess Naomi was feeling a little orphaned herself, isolated in this land that was not the land of her birth. So she decided to go back home to her ancestral home in Judah. Now, I bet she knew she was not going to go back to a cushy life. She probably was not going to go back to open arms. She and, and her husband, they had actually abandoned their family during the famine. Kind of like immigrants today who may come to the States for a better life, you know, so many of them, they work so hard, and they send huge portions of their income back to their family where they came from. It does not appear that Naomi and her husband did that. And it was common in those days that if you left your home because of a famine, you'd find a place where there was food and you would send stuff back. And when the famine was over, you'd return home. Well, they didn't return home. They stayed in Moab until life got too hard for Naomi. So I don't think Naomi was expecting a warm welcome when she got back to Judah, and nor did she get one. Turns out, her family was not thrilled with her. They were stirred up when they saw her. You know, she might have still had this lingering question, would her family take her back in? Would they provide for her like they should? And of course, they did not. And she suspected that. So the last thing she needed was two young women to be responsible for when she wasn't even sure she would have a bed to lay her head on. So she told them, go back to your mothers, go back to your families. Orpah did, Ruth did not. We don't know why Ruth made that choice. Maybe she came from an abusive family and she'd rather take her chances in a foreign country with a woman who had no, no prospects and would probably end up begging on the streets. Maybe Ruth was adventurous and she was just excited about this possibility to explore a new place. Or maybe she just so loved Naomi that she just didn't want to leave her. I mean, we don't know the reasoning. What we do know is she would not leave Naomi. And she made this amazing vow. And Naomi let her come. If we had continued reading the story, we would have seen that, indeed, Naomi was not welcomed back with open arms. And in fact, even though she did still have relatives there, she and Ruth were reduced to scavenging the fields after they were harvested for leftovers. But they stuck together through it all, and they helped each other get to a better place. Ruth and Naomi were bound to each other through thick and thin. This is not a new concept. When Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself, he was saying, we're bound together. When Paul said that when one part of the body suffers, the whole body suffers, he was saying, we're bound together. Even when God said to Peter in the vision, don't call unclean what I've made clean, the message was, we are bound Together, we are connected to each other. We do not go through life alone. In fact, we are here to help each other, to support each other, to care for each other, and to lift each other up. We're bound together. 
And I think both you and I recognize that this world will never be the world we hope and pray for until we all recognize we are bound together. Reverend Aisha Brooks Johnson, she's the Executive Presbyter of the Presbytery of Greater Atlanta, says that we've experienced a lot of death and grief and loss in the midst of a global pandemic. We've experienced racial brokenness, economic disparity, and political division. None of this is new to you. She says, can you imagine a world in which we took spiritual oaths like the one we found in the book of Ruth? What if we resisted the temptation to fight or flee in the face of grief and pain and oppression? What if we took these vows with members of our human family? Imagine, she says, a member, she says a member of the human family before you, but imagine someone you love before you. Imagine someone who's out protesting in the streets against something, you know, in, in a way that you don't agree with and speaking these words to them. By the mercy of God and because of God's grace, we are bound to one another. Your pain is not your own, it is now my pain. The plight of your people is held in my hands and my heart as if they were my own. Where you journey and work, I too will journey and work alongside you with God's help. Where your bones are buried, may I too find a resting place and declare every earthly resting place sacred in the eyes of God. Can you imagine saying that to someone else? Maybe you can imagine saying it to someone you love and care about. But can you imagine saying that to someone you have a conflict with? Or saying that to someone who's fighting against an injustice that doesn't touch you personally. Your work is my work. I'll work alongside you. We are bound together. You see, by starting with those first three questions, where are you from, where do you hurt, what do you need? You know, we can kind of stay in our comfort zones with those questions. We can still just hang out with those we already know and love because there's always more to learn about each other. They're, they're powerful questions no matter who we ask them of. But that fourth question can be uncomfortable because it said, you can't stop there. It's like, now where do we go? What's the next step we take towards being ambassadors of reconciliation, towards being agents of healing this world? The only way we're going to see the world we hope and pray for come close is if we realize we are bound together. When one part of the body hurts, we all hurt. When one part is suffering an injustice, it affects us all. We are all in this thing called life together. So how can we support each other? How can we stand with each other? How can we care for each other? How can we help heal each other so we can stop striking out at each other and tearing each other down? How can we show the world a better way? 
again, Reverend uh, Alicia Brooks Johnson, she says, Ruth's response, this wonderful vow she takes, echoes the unending and far-reaching love of God. How can we be God's hands, feet, and heart in this world? I do think it begins by going back to those earlier questions and being willing to ask them of people we don't know well, those we don't understand, those we're in conflict with. You know, tell me, where are you from? What do you love? What saddens you? Who has had an impact on your life? What experiences shape the way you walk through the world today? Tell me, where do you hurt? What have I done that causes you pain? What griefs do you carry? What injustices do you suffer? Tell me, what do you need? How can I help you? How can I stand with you? How can I accompany you on your path? Once you start to build enough trust that they might answer those questions, and you really start to listen, they're going to know they've been heard. And then they may ask you the same questions. And then you will both see that you're bound together in this thing called life. And you are bound together in the heart of God. So keep asking questions. And listen deeply to what you hear, both from the other person and from God. In just a minute, we'll worship with a song called A Covenant of Grace. It was written for this worship series. Listen to the words, and may it be our prayer. Thanks for listening. You can access all of our previous episodes on Anchor or your favorite source for podcasts. Find out more about us at fpclincoln.org or join us on Facebook.